Jesus is life. Life is the key to our existence, is it not? I mean, that's why we are here. Life is a key theme in the book of John. And uh, he includes the description in his writing some 36 times. And he keeps restating it because, A, he wants us to communicate that truth to others, that Jesus is life. And the second thing, he knows that sometimes we need to hear something more than once to understand it. Isn't that right? But the the key thing that John teaches is that Jesus is not only the meaning of life, he is life. Jesus is not only the meaning to life, he is life. In Jesus we find life. What kind of life is that? Eternal life. The kind of life that is not defined by when you're born and when you die. There is no dash in the life of a believer. Maybe from an earthly state, you're born on this date, you died on this date. But for a believer, Jesus Christ is eternal life. And so, think about it this way. Today, Jesus, John is saying Jesus is the light. L-I-G-H-T. Jesus is the light. Well, that's a common theme because Jesus is life, and now we have Jesus is light. And if you think about it just for a second, without the light, we would be dead. Why is that? Well, without light, nothing would grow. Nothing would grow. Some of you love to plant gardens and flowers and and all those great things. Without sunlight, they will not grow. And where there is no vegetation... There will be nothing for the animals to eat. And with no food for the animals to eat, the, as we see in the Old Testament, oftentimes a famine, they lead to the livestock being dead. So whether you are a vegan or a meat eater, you're out of luck without light. So if there is no vegetation and if there is no livestock, then ultimately there will be no humans because A, we will starve, and B, think about it this way, and, and this is really drawing upon my sixth grade physical science knowledge here, but I do remember a term called photosynthesis, I think is, is what it's called, to where when we breathe out carbon dioxide, the plants and the vegetation, they take it in and they produce oxygen. Well, with no plants, no trees, no vegetation, we're going to die because we're going to be overcome by CO2 as well. Carbon dioxide. So, in a very real sense, Jesus is life. And Jesus is the light. And so as we unpack that topic, let's look in God's Word this morning. We'll be in John chapter 1 still. We're going to be starting with verse 6. John 1 verse 6. And it says, God sent a man. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone must believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to those, to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to be called the children of God, they are reborn, not with a, with a physical rebirth from humans or 
any type of plan, but of birth that only comes from God. So the first thing that we see, if you want to take notes, our first point for this morning would be this, is that in John chapter 1, verses 6 through 9, we see that God took the initiative in your salvation. God took the initiative. He initiated your salvation. It began with Him. It is His invitation. It is His doing. There is nothing that you can ever do to earn that. There is nothing that I can ever do to earn that. And I can preach till I'm blue in the face, but it's not based upon what we do. It's based upon what God did for us. And we see that because it says in the very first few words, it says, God sent a man. God sent a man. And that man was John the Baptist. Well, John the Baptist, we see him and we can see the fact that God chooses the most unlikely people to share his message. God chooses the most unlikely people to share his message. Believe me, I'm one of them. I'm sure that my teachers in in, uh, middle school and high school would have thought, that boy's going to be a preacher? I doubt it. And there are many people that have told you before when you were younger in life that, you know, bless his heart, bless her heart. I really hope they amount to something. And we look at it from a world standards. And, and true, I don't have a huge bank account. And, and I don't have a Rolex on my wrist. And I don't have all of these other entrapments that will burn just like everything else. But I do know this, that without Jesus Christ, I was lost. And I know this, even though you might not be a pastor, you are a Christian. You are a believer. And with that, we see the fact that you are a representative of God. And it says he'll use the most unlikely people. And the name John actually meant the gift of God. John was born by elderly Jewish parents. And uh, Zacharias and Elizabeth, who were of a priestly family. And a matter of fact, when he was a very young boy, they dedicated him to be a Nazarite. In other words, they were dedicating John the Baptist from the very beginning of his life to be a priestly type of God-honoring person. They dedicated him to the Lord. So basically, John was a traveling preacher. He was a Jew who was telling other Jews who the long-awaited Messiah was and that he was on his way. Now, John was not someone that you would forget. It says in Matthew chapter 3, verse 4, it says that John's clothes were woven from coarse camel hair. Now, I'm not much on fashion, but I would think a camel hair coat is not something that you would want, especially in the hot climates where they were living. But that's what he had. It says that he had camel hair coat, camel hair clothes, and then all of a sudden it says also that he wore a leather belt around his waist. And for food, he ate locust and wild honey. Mm, mm, mm. When you go out for lunch today, why don't you ask the restaurant if they've got an order of locust and honey? I remember the old cheesy joke that said, what's the first sentence of kissing in the Bible? And it says, John took his honey and nectar. So, uh, you know, that uh, you won't, I mean, if you remember anything, you'll remember that today, right? But John, he ate locust covered in honey. He had a wool clothing. And and he was very outspoken. I'm sure that if he would have walked into this church today and sat down beside some of us, 
we would have probably moved over just a hair once we, you know, you have the time. The Baptists, they do this. You stand up for him, and then you can just move over a little bit, then sit down, right? But anyway, he would have been that person that you would just kind of been looking at and wondering, who in the world is this guy? Well, and he, he was not much to look at. But the religious Jews were embarrassed and would not claim him. They would not claim John the Baptist. The social elites would go out of their way to ignore him. And John is referred to as a man. Isn't it great to know when it says God sent a man, that that isn't a direct response before when they said he is the word and the word was God and the word was with God. So you see the divine and you see the human. God can use both. And John's message was to prepare a dark world to receive light. Did you ever know that there, have you ever seen an invention that you didn't know you need? I mean, that's the thing about inventions. If we could ever be lucky enough, you'll, you'll watch the news or you'll watch TV and you'll see the, the infomercials and you'll think, why in the world did I think of that? I could have been making money. But these people that, that truly make a lot of money are the ones that invent something for a need you didn't even know you needed. For example, I did a little research and they showed one. It was an ironing board mirror. And so what it had is just an ironing board stand where it shows the person ironing. And then when they're done, they just flip it up. And on the other side, there's a mirror. So you get a full-length mirror and an ironing board all at one time. Isn't that great? There was another one. And this was a genius. It was an umbrella with a, a cup holder on the end of it. So you could be walking in the rain with your little Starbucks or your Coke or whatever else. You'd be sitting there in the rain and enjoying it and not having to hold it with two hands. I thought... I never knew I needed that. But that's awesome. And another one was a spaghetti measurer. And it was just this, it looked like a ruler, except it had the, the outline of a horse. <laughs> and then it had two people, one person, and then just a, a little minuscule amount. So what it was saying was, if you want to cook enough spaghetti to feed a horse, I mean, how many of y'all know how much spaghetti, when you got that box and you're cooking for two people, do you ever get it right? I mean, I either make too much or not enough every single time. So if I would have had that measurer, I could just put in there, well, I'm hungry, I want to feed a horse. So I'll put that measurement in there, and there we go. Or one or two people, hey, I mean, that's fine too. But I thought, how great is that? I never even knew I needed that. And, and one of the coolest things I saw, and you'll have to Google this, uh, or I'll show you a picture of it later, but it's called universal wrapping paper. How many of y'all like word finds? Okay, this was wrapping paper that would look like a huge word find, but it would have something like Happy Valentine's Day in it, and you just circle it. Or it would have Merry Christmas, you circle that. Happy, Vi- or Happy Birthday, you circle that. So, I mean, how ingenious is that? One wrapping paper for everything. Wow. Those are pretty cool things. And one last one I saw, it was a bench like you would see outside. And it, it was made of wood slats, but it had a crank on the side of it. So it showed it raining and it was wet. But when it stopped raining, you just turn the crank and like a roll-top desk, it just rolls over and then the, the, the dry wood is on top. Ingenious! You never have to have a wet backside again. Hey, y'all want to come over? It rained, that's okay. It's fine. 
Everybody's happy. Well, why in the world am I going to so many extremes to show you things that we didn't know we need that we need? Well, here's the thing. When John the Baptist came to this world, when John the Baptist came to this dark world, the world did not and does not still to this day know that they need Jesus Christ. We need him desperately, but people don't see the need for it. Because it is a sad statement that John had to tell the world that Jesus was coming. Why is that? Because our world is spiritually blind. And to be spiritually blind is to not see Christ. And not to see Christ as we see God. We live in a time today to where it is very hard to give a testimony. If I were to say the name Jesus, 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 everybody would raise their hands and worship in here. But if we were to say it out in public or at work or at the restaurant, what's wrong with them? People are hostile towards Jesus. They don't want to hear the name Jesus because every time we lift up Jesus in his name, it reminds people of their sins. So instead of accepting and repenting from that, they would rather attack Jesus. That's okay. They were doing it long before. We see it even here in John's day. But people in our world are like spiritual moles. Any of y'all ever had moles in your yard? Man, those are the most frustrating things in the world. You're lucky if you have a dog that likes to dig them up, right? But anyway, you have all these mold tracks, and, and you have to call people out to, to get rid of them or go to, to the whack-a-mole store and get whatever you need to, to be able to get the mold stuff, and you get rid of them. But the moles, they spend so much time underground. They are in dark so much that they have eyes, but they are blind. That is our world today. We are living in a dark world, and people have been in the dark so much they cannot see the light. But folks, we are reflectors of God's light. That's what John was, and that's what we are. I tell you what, I love to go see lighthouses. They have a couple in Wilmington and at the Outer Banks in North Carolina, and I love to go see those things because especially when we would go to Fort Caswell, there was, even at night, you would see that shoom, shoom, shoom. And the intensity of that bulb is so bright. But do you know what throws that light out for ships to see? Very bright mirrors that focus the light and shine it out. Folks, John the Baptist was the mirror of the light. Jesus Christ. You, my friends, are the mirror of the light of Jesus Christ. But you need to polish your mirrors. Take it out of your purse. Take it out of your closet. And reflect that light that's within you. Because John was a witness. And so are we. John was not the light. He was a witness. God knew the work Jesus was set to do was too important not to prepare or proclaim. This is what we must know. It is more important to see Jesus in us. It is more important for the world to see Jesus in us than us apart from Jesus. Do you understand what I'm saying here? It's more important for them to see Jesus in our lives, in our actions, in the way we treat people in public, the way we treat our family, in the way we listen to conversations, in the things that we talk about. It is more important for them to see Jesus in us 
than us by ourselves apart from Jesus. Folks, any praise or accolades we can get in this world will die with us. But it's only what we do for Jesus Christ. It is only what we do as we reflect the light. Whether you be a teenager in school, or whether you be a mother, a father, or whether you be in the workplace, or whether you be at at home or in church or out in public, we are to reflect the light of Jesus Christ. And the second thing we see is in verses 10 through 11. Jesus came into the very world He created. Jesus came into the very world He created. Now, it says He came into the very world He created, but the world did not recognize Him. That's amazing. I, was, uh, I saw a, a talk show the other day, and there was this movie star that was talking about how in the world do you go out in public, because this was a huge celebrity. And he said, well, actually, what I've got is I've got this old man mask that I put on, and nobody recognizes me. So he, dis- he, he disguises himself so that he can go out and, and buy lattes, and he can go out and go to the grocery store, he can go wherever he wants to go, but he has to be in disguise. He has to masquerade as something. He has to hide his identity. But in Jesus Christ's case... He did not mask anything. He came as he was and who he is. But the world did not recognize him. He came to his own people, referring to the Jews. He came to his own people and even they rejected him. So we see that he was in the world. Folks, God himself walked among us. God, I mean, think about this. Of all the other false religions we hear about and all the other fancy things that are, that are in the world today, how many do you see where God humbled himself to come and walk among us? This is the only religion that does that. That he walked among us for us. He was in the world. He walked among us. I think of the effort and worship it took for the Israelites to travel for 40 years while making a mobile temple with, with all of the entrappings that they had to do. I mean, they were just, there's entire, entire chapters in the Old Testament of what they had to do to take the Ark of the Covenant with them when they were in the wilderness for 40 years. And they would have to break camp. They would have to make camp. Time after time. Why was it so important to carry that Ark of the Covenant with him? Because it was believed that that was the presence of God. And when they would build the temple, they would make this thing called the Holy of Holies to where they believed that God God dwelt within them. That, That that was God's presence. But folks, we see here in Jesus Christ, he changed the whole thing. There are no poles to take. There are no veils to rip. There are no, there's nothing but this God himself walking among us. How powerful is that? The Holy of Holies became a man. It was not a room. It was a man. And God walked with us. Folks, the inaccessible became accessible. The inaccessible became accessible. And the unapproachable became approachable through Jesus Christ. Jesus came to save and he will return to judge. But when I think about it, it says he was rejected by his own people. Y'all, ever, y'all remember playing as little kids? 
Did y'all ever have that one kid in your neighborhood to where y'all would get together and say, hey, let's play a game of kickball. So that kid brings his new kickball that his mom got him. And they all play kickball, but all of a sudden, he gets hit with the kickball and he cries and he takes his ball and he goes home. Because somebody hit him in the head with a kickball and everybody was making fun of him. So he took his ball and he went home, game over, right? It would have been so easy for Jesus to say, you mean my own people don't want me? Well, I'm out of here. I tried. I did my best. Many of y'all have done that. When there are people that are hard and unapproachable in your life, and you say, well, I tried. That's all I can do. And you give up. Jesus didn't give up. His own people rejected him, but he came anyway. Why is that? Just look in the mirror and you'll find out. He came for you. Even though his own people didn't want him, the plan was much bigger than just the Jews. His plan was for the world. His plan was for you. The third thing that we see in verses 12 through 13 is that those who reject the true light, excuse me, not reject, but those who reflect the true light are reborn. Those who reflect the true light are reborn. I think of Jesus when uh, he went to the, uh, the Jewish leader and in, basically uh, in, in it's in John 3.16 where he says, what must I do to be a Christian? And he said, you must be born again. And so I don't know whether the man was being sarcastic or what, but he said, does that mean no one can be born from their mother twice? That's not the kind of reborn he's talking about. He's talking about a spiritual rebirth. He says in verses 12 to 13, But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. And they are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So if you read in verses 12, what are the terms of salvation? What's the contract? Show me the bottom line. What do I need to do to earn salvation? Remember, I said at the beginning of this, God initiated salvation. He sent John to reflect the light, to be a light, to draw people to salvation. So what are the terms? What do I need to do? Where do I need to sign? What button do I need to push? And he says, number one, you must believe. And the second thing you must do is accept. Believing that Jesus is Christ. Believing that Jesus is God. Okay, that's good. You can say that I believe. Many, many religions affirm Jesus as being a very good teacher. Many of them affirm Him. But the thing is, is that do we believe and claim for ourselves the truth of the gospel that there is a need for salvation and the conviction of sin? Why are more people not coming to Christ today? Why are more people not coming to Christ today? P-R-I-D-E. P-R-I-D-E. Because they do not want to admit that they're not enough. They do not want to admit that they need help. And they do not want to admit that they are in sin. And many of you even in here today as believers, you will feel the, the Spirit pull on your heart. During an invitation or a prayer time or in a Bible study. And it's really just easy just to brush it off. To truly have salvation, we must believe the gospel. 
We must admit that we are sinners. And then it says here in verses 12 and 13 that many are called, but few are chosen. Verse 12 talks about our responsibility. Our responsibility is to accept and believe. But in verse 13, it explains God's divine drawing. You might think it's just something that preachers say when they come to the invitation and it sounds like a preacher is begging for someone to walk forward or begging for someone to do something with their life. Is it begging? I'll be honest with you, absolutely it is. Because here's the thing. I cannot manufacture salvation. There is no program on my iPad that can make someone come to Christ. And I know this, that if the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is touching your heart, and drawing him unto himself, that's not always a constant thing. It's an invitation that you either accept or reject. How does that work? I do not know. You cannot come to Christ. You cannot earn your way. Yes, you have to choose to accept Christ, but you can only choose to accept him when he is drawing you unto himself. So a person who accepts Jesus' gift of salvation, they are born again. I think about it this way. A baby is born into a family, right? And the family loves that baby and takes care of that baby. Well, folks, the same thing happens in the church as well. When someone comes to know Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord, they are part of God's family, not just Homeland Park Baptist Church, but the church as a whole. A believer is born into the family. And it's important to know that as a new believer... We are not rebooted. We are reborn. What does that mean? I've got some, some electronics that I deal with, and I'm sure you do too, and they'll, they'll fluster you to no end. And you call someone for help, and they'll say, first of all, is it plugged in? Duh. Okay, it's plugged in. Then the second thing they'll say is just turn it off and cut it back on again and reboot it. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. But folks, when you become a believer in Jesus Christ, There is no reboot. You are a total new creation. New creation. The old is gone. That old person is in a grave. And that new person rises to walk in newness of life. And then the third thing we see, or actually in conclusion, we see that what does your life's mirror look like? That's what I want you to evaluate today. If we are to reflect the light as John the Baptist reflected the light, What does your mirror look like today? Because here's the thing. Our life will mirror what is important to us. True or false? Our life will mirror what is important to us. If you take an independent panel, what they call a focus group, and you just let them look at a video of you interacting with people during the day, they could at the end of the day view that video footage and tell you everything about you about you because they have seen what comes out of your mouth. They have seen how you treat others. They have seen where you spend your time. And they have seen where you spend your money. Folks, our life mirrors that to which is important to us. So you need this morning to evaluate what is important to you. Because, folks, we talk about things that are important to us. We talk about what and who we love. We live for who and what we love. And like John, we may be called to die for who and what we love. If you look at the story of John the Baptist 
and you see the way that he died, it was so petty to see this giant of faith be killed because of a very inappropriate relationship with Herod. And the daughter saying, I want John the Baptist's head on a platter. So he says, okay, fine. But folks, John the Baptist never wavered in his message and he went to his death proclaiming that Jesus is the light of the world. Folks, one day, I don't know if it'll be anybody in this room, but you might have to die for your faith. So is your faith strong enough to do that? Uh, We won't know until we get into that situation. But my prayer is it would be because... This, our worldview, the way we see our family, the way we see our health, the way we see our purpose, the way we see our speech, and the, the way that we see our actions are all based upon the reflection of the light in our lives. So this will either draw us to live a holy life or to repent from our sins that are against God. And here's the thing I want to leave you with. And this is something that, that I don't know if it's preached a lot, but, but I'm going to preach it because I live it. And I know this beyond a shadow of a doubt. There's two verses that haunt me every single day. And they're these. That God takes your sin personally. You ever heard that? When someone was, you know, somebody's mad at you or something happens to you and they'll say, oh, don't take it personally. It's just everybody. They had to let everybody go on that shift. It's not personal. Or, yeah, he, he was yelling at everybody, but he didn't mean you. Don't take it personal. I got news for you. God takes your sin personally. It says in Psalm 51, verse 4, this is the prayer of an adulterer, a murderer, uh, a king that has used his power in very evil ways, but yet God still called him a man after his own heart. But yet God still used to bring Jesus Christ in this world through the family line of this man. And this is King David. And he's praying. And we all like to talk about verse 10 where it says, Create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. Oh yeah. Clean me up and send me on, God. But David was not able to pray that before he got past verse 4. Psalm 51.4 says, Against you and you alone have I sinned. Against you and you alone have I sinned. Folks, when you sin and when I sin, it is a direct slap in the face to God and the work that Jesus Christ did for you and I on the cross. And the second thing we see is that in Isaiah 53 verses 5 and 6, it says that, but he was pierced. For our rebellion. This is a prophecy of when Jesus is on the cross. And when it says he's pierced for our rebellion. That's talking about the time when they took the spear just to make sure Jesus was dead. And they poked it in his side where blood and water flowed out of his chest cavity. And so here it is 2,000 years before that. That he was pierced for our rebellion. And then it says he was crushed for our sins. He was crushed for our sins. And He was beaten so that we would be whole. He was whipped so that we would be healed. And all of us like sheep have gone astray. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet, 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 the Lord laid on Him the sins of us all. 
He is the life. And He is the light. And whether you accept Him or whether you don't, whether you live for Him or whether you don't, it doesn't matter because He died for you anyway. And everything that He endured was because He loves you. So you may be here feeling like God could never use you because you've got some hang-ups. Just like David. But folks, God can use a broken person much easier and much faster than someone who believes they have it all together. So if you are broken this morning, understand that you are on the path of being used by God. John was the most likely candidate to usher in the arrival in the long-awaited Messiah. He wasn't one that everybody would have said, yeah, that's the guy we want to use. But he's the one that God used anyway. He is the light, and we reflect the light. And we can only do that by having his light in us. So for some of you, God's calling you to polish your mirror and remove the sin that's in your life. For some of you, it'll be a first-time decision to say, I want Jesus Christ to come into my life. I'm tired of living on my own, and I realize that my path is going to lead to a death and an eternal separation from God. Then there's other believers here today that say, Preacher, I understand what you're saying, but I've let some sin come into my life. And let me tell you, believer, you don't have to get saved again. You don't have to be re-saved. You just need to confess and repent. And walk away from those sins. Let's pray. God, thank you for this service today. Lord, you are the light. You are the light of the world. And dear Heavenly Father, it is my prayer. That as we come to this time of invitation. If there is someone here today. That needs to know you as their Savior and Lord. And they realize. That even though they don't have it all together. Christ died for them anyway. To forgive them of their sins. May they confess those today to you. If someone would like to pray with me or come down front and and become a Christian and pray the sinner's prayer, I'll be glad to lead them in that. If they'd rather do it when it's over, they can do that too. But just do not leave this place if the Spirit is drawing upon you because you're not promised that invitation will come again. For those believers here that are beat down, by their own sin. May they confess and feel the freedom of that confession and repentance. Maybe someone wants to join this church or just come to these altars, Lord. This invitation time is for you. For it's in your name we pray. Amen.